Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the show. It's Matt Browning, your host. Super, super excited today because we're doing our interview Friday. Uh, man, today's been a great day and it's going to get even better. I was just on, I was just on this man's podcast uh, a couple months ago and started getting to know him pretty well. Phenomenal human being, phenomenal entrepreneur, and ultimately just like has one of the best attitudes uh, I've come across in a really, really long time. Uh, his name's Norman Bell. He's an award-winning public speaker. He's a performer, presentation coach, an expert communicator. And he's used communication skills and helped Fortune 500 companies work with companies like Microsoft, uh, Hewlett Packard, and AT&T, as well as being on the uh, with the PBS Travel Show host Rick Steves. That's pretty cool. Uh, he's also been an actor. We're going to get into that. Uh, he's played opposite Academy Award winner Christian Bale in the movie The Machinist. So that is uh, pretty darn cool because I have not acted with Christian Bale. He also <laughs> wrote, co-produced, and starred in the popular solo show Subprime. He's a speaker coach. He's worked with researchers at Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research and social entrepreneurs competing in the Social Venture Partners Fast Pitch. He's had all sorts of cool people on his podcast as well. He has a podcast called The Hell Yes Entrepreneur Podcast, along with his upcoming book coming out, The Hell Yes Entrepreneur. He's had all sorts of cool people on there. Let's get into it. Norman Bell, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? Thanks so much for having me, Matt. It's, uh, I'm doing really well. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Man, I was so excited uh, to see your face. This is actually one of the earlier interviews I'm doing uh, at the start of the new year. And what a great way to kick off my new interview season with a, with a man like you. So let me first get into asking. The first thing that comes to my mind is the Hell Yes Entrepreneur. Um, your website's the Hell Yes Life. What got you to decide this is the thing I'm going to branch and do? Like you've done so many different things in business uh, over the years why would you jump into something? I mean, it's a cool name, right? It's a really cool name, but what does it mean and why did you get into it? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so the story actually begins uh, over 25 years ago when I was in high school and it was the end of my junior year in high school. And uh, I was actually in the back of physics class and they were passing around this sign-up sheet to run for a student council position. And that, was, that wasn't something that I had ever really done before. But for some reason, when the, the sheet came by, I signed up. And uh, anyway, so that led to me running for a student council position. And the slogan that I came up with uh, for my, my election bid was, hell yes, vote for Norm. And so for, for election week, I was handing out uh, stickers and buttons that said, hell yes, vote for Norm. And at the end of election week, uh, we had a, um, an assembly where we uh, were to give speeches to the, the upcoming senior class. And uh, so, so basically, I gave this speech. There actually were some things that went wrong in the speech. This, the, the slides started coming up upside down at some point. But, um, but I realized in the midst of, of that experience that I was, I was in my hell yes. You know, I was in flow. I was in pat, my passion. And I could have melted into the ground at that point as the slides started coming up upside down. But 
um, I, you know, because I was so in my hell, yes, I just kept going. And I said to the audience, like, well, it looks like the slides are coming up upside down. Let's just roll with it. And, uh, and I looked back and everybody had turned their heads upside down to, to follow along, uh, uh, with the slides. And I knew that they were with me. What a good so, metaphor. What a good metaphor for just showing up and then knowing people are with you. They start turning their heads upside down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so I got to the end of the speech and I said, okay, if you want to vote for me on the count of three, yell, hell yes. And I went one, two, three, and the whole place went, hell yes. Um, and so I ended up, uh, so I felt, you know, kind of you know, 10 feet tall that, that they are 20 feet tall. Let's go. Um, and so I ended up winning the, the election and that led to a hell yes senior year for me. And I guess it was a, an experience that I had where I came out in a way as a sort of a bolder person, um, a funny, you know, I, I got to show off my sense of humor, um, kind of a, you know, my colorful personality in, in a way that I hadn't before, you know, I, um, in a lot of ways, and it can be kind of introverted uh, and kind of unassuming, but I have this other side to me, right? And it, and it comes out, I don't know if you can relate, Matt, you're a public, uh, you know, great public speaker. Like, you know, I, I for some, whatever reason, when I get on stage, I just shine, you know, I just kind of open up and there's this, this other part of me. You know, I feel uh, like there's a, a lot of us in, in the speaking and even the business world probably relate to that. You know, I, I tell a story about me being in kindergarten, standing behind this big oak tree and looking out at the kids and saying, man, there's no way I could go talk to them. There's no way I could play with them. And yeah. I remember that feeling of being on the outside looking in and feeling really introverted. Yeah. What, what were you like growing up like in elementary school and junior high? Is this like, you said almost like a coming out party, like for your bold self. Yeah. Did, did you grow up like in the same kind of way I did? You know, were you, were you quieter and more shy or were you always in a way that kind of personality and now you just decided to let it shine? Like what, what was that like earlier in life? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I always had my friend. I think. Well, I uh, grew up an an only child, and uh, I I think I maybe because of that. I you know when I would have a friend, I would bond with them really strongly. And so when I was with my friends, that you know my best friends, I would always feel really comfortable and myself or whatever. Sure. But I think that I I would be reticent to sort of show that, or I you know in around people that I didn't know that well. I would be a little bit uh, more shy. So yeah. I, I watch, so I watched that in my son too. He's seven yeah. right now. And I mm -hmm. watch that when he's with one or two people that he knows real well, just out there, like loves it. It's amazing. Yeah. But in a big group, he like, he'll never jump into the park. You know, he always wants to stand back and watch everybody. Yeah. 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 And actually my daughter's an only child as well. Uh, uh, Sophia. And, and she's, I, th I think she takes after me. It's the same thing. It's not that she's, she, uh, she's eight. Oh, yeah, wow. she's gonna be gonna be nine in in April, um, and yeah, she's not not that she doesn't talk to anybody, uh, but that when she's comfortable in a group, uh, she she opens up. But in you know a large group of people she doesn't know, she can she can be that way. So so do, yeah. did you did you have some performing? Because I, I saw you know in your bio you said performer. I know we're gonna talk about your movie and some and a few of those things. Um, to me, performers always, always interest me because mm -hmm. sometimes it's, you know, on stage, off stage, same person, like identical personality, right? You meet someone, you go, you know, they're a performer, but I have a lot of friends too, that have that, uh, they switch it on where they're still themselves, but turned up to the nth degree. Um, yeah. You know, one friend in particular, my buddy, Scott, shout out to Scott Robertson. Uh, he's, he's a 
bank manager by day, very unassuming, just very mild mannered, really, yeah. really nice guy. But at night he does OC Elvis and he goes and does a society <laughs> show and he just, it's unbelievable. It's two different people. Yeah. He does that so well. So are you the performer that's almost like an outlet for you? Or do you feel like it's just, Hey, this is really who I am. And I just, I need to be in front of people all the time. Yeah, I think I'm probably more like it's an outlet for me, um, you know, and it comes it comes in different forms. So I, you know, do coaching or um, even what we're doing right now is as a form of public speaking, even though we don't have a live audience in front of us. Right. We know that it's going to be listened to by an audience. Hey, um, the millions listening at home. The mil- you guys, yes. You guys are just as important. It doesn't matter if this is live to tape. Come on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, so I think that there's something about that, uh, that venue, you know, that when the opportunity to be in front of an audience that, that turns me, it's kind of like Clark Kent and Superman, you know, it's not, not to say that, you know, I'm, I'm completely unassuming and a completely different person when I'm, uh, off stage. And yeah, I think it's like when I'm around people that I feel really comfortable with, like my family and friends and so forth, I'm more my, you know, goofy self or whatever. But, uh, uh, in, in work situations where, you know, I'm, you know, a a writer or something like that, then, uh, they might not see all I have to offer. Let's put it that way. Did, did you want to act early on or was this something that, because I know, you know, you haven't done an extensive amount of acting, but yeah. I mean, to jump in and say, hey, I'm, by the way, I'm going to do this movie with Christian Bale. That's kind of a big deal. Uh, did you know you wanted to act or was this something, again, as a performer, you said, no, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Let me jump into acting to see how far I can go. Or was this a dream of I'm going to do this and this is my career? I, I didn't have it as a, um, you know, a firm thing from the age of uh, six that, oh, I'm, I'm going to be a, um, a film and theater actor. But I did have some little experiences. I had a, an experience in fifth grade. I can't remember exactly why we had this assignment, but we had this kind of like this um, it was in Mr. Munson's class and we had uh, to, to make commercials, basically. Shout and out our, to Mr. Munson. Shout out to Mr. Munson. He's one of my favorite teachers. Yeah, Ron Munson. He's a great guy. Um, And we, it was me and my friend Andy, and we did this peanut butter commercial. And actually, we did it two years in a row. And one year, I was the peanut butter sales sales guy. And the next year I was the customer. And I just remember always kind of, you know, I mean, if I can put it humbly, I kind of stole the show with my goofy antics. And I think that was maybe <laughs> my, my first experience of, oh, wow, so there's something about that dynamic that, um, that I really enjoyed. And I, I didn't turn into, oh, I'm going to turn, I, I want to be an actor. Um, until after college, I started taking some theater classes at a local acting studio here in Seattle called Freehold. Shout out to Freehold, awesome uh, organization. And um, that, that really developed that. I started doing some solo uh, performances, you know, short, short performances. And then I did a full length show about the subprime mortgage meltdown. Uh, uh, kind of interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, and then I, I started doing some film and commercial work. I uh, you know, very short version of this is I was living in Barcelona at the time and they were looking for, for whatever reason, they were filming the machinist in Barcelona and uh, they were looking for um, actors to, to fill in some of the smaller roles. So I got uh, picked up as the DMV guy in the machinist. Check it out. About two thirds of the way through the, the movie. Yeah, check it out. 
The Machine is 2004, Christian Bale. Uh, really cool movie, so make sure you go check that out. You can get that on Amazon Prime, of course. Uh, <laughs> so so you were, tell me about, you just kind of casually said you were living in Barcelona. So I know you lived abroad quite a bit. Um, curious though, like not just where you live, but tell me the, the thought process of, I'm going to go live somewhere. I mean, you're, yeah. you were born and raised in, in the United States, I'm assuming. Yep. Right. Yes. And then at some point you say, I'm just going to go live here. Now, some people go study abroad and come back or they go mm -hmm. travel for six months and come back. Um, how did you come to the conclusion of, I'm going to live and how long did you live uh, and where? Yeah. So um, I think it was, it's in my DNA because my, um, my father, he passed away about three years ago, but he was from Scotland and he moved actually to uh, Toronto, Canada, and then finally to California. Uh, my mom is from Quebec, uh, Canada, and she moved to, to California and that's where she met my dad and, uh, and I was born. So it's, they, they both moved from other countries to the United States. Uh, they emigrated. And so I think that it was, you know, it's kind of, I think it's like anybody that grows up in a particular environment, it might be more second nature to them if they had, well, for better or for worse sometimes, um, uh, if, if they have that, that kind of trend in their family. So I, I think that that, that was part of it. Um, I, I know that I always wanted to travel and, and, and another piece of it was I, I went and lived in Japan for a year, uh, and taught English there. And while I was in Japan, uh, because my dad, uh, had, was born in Scotland, I was able to get an EU passport at a Ooh. European passport yep. uh, so I could work in uh, Europe. Of course, that might be changing with the Brexit thing, but, uh, but at least for the time, that time, uh, it, was, it was valid and I was able to live and work in, in Spain. And so I got back from Japan, decided I still wanted to travel, went to Barcelona, ended up loving Barcelona. If you've never been to Barcelona, anybody out there who's listening, um, highly recommend it. One of the, one of the great uh, cities in the world, I, I think. Uh, ended up staying there for five years. And um, I taught English there for a while, ended up getting some um, communications work at, at different companies. And uh, yeah, and ended up acting in The Machinist, among other things. <laughs> did you, amazing. Did you know, kind of random. did you know Japanese before you went to Japan? And did you know Spanish before you went to Barcelona? I didn't. It was, um, did? I did not. And you, if anybody who is well, I, I wonder actually these days about how popular that it is to go to Japan to teach English. It, I'm sure it's, it's still an option. I imagine China is probably even more of a focus. I would imagine. But yeah, and I never, um, when I started looking into that, I would have thought, yeah, I would need to uh, be a, a master of the language before I would go there. But, uh, but no, you don't need to speak a word of, of the language they, because in the classes, they, they want their students speaking English the whole time. And, and so they kind of set it up for you. They give you the books and they give you some training. And I mean, they give you some training and then you pretty much get thrown in there and you learn as you go. Uh, and you also learn along the way what a crazy language English is. There's so many times that the students would ask, um, why do we, why do they do it that way in English? And you know, the answer was just like, <laughs> no that's idea. just the way they do it. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Japanese make, makes a lot more sense. So what, one of my best friends is, is actually an English teacher in Japan. He fell in love with a Japanese girl in college and California and then moved out there and he's been there ever since, I think 15 years at least now. 
And mm-hmm. I always laugh, you know, because he'll be like, man, I was a C English student, but he's like, I'm the yeah. best English speaker in my class. <laughs> Right, 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 because right. he's better than all of them. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and exactly when you said that, they all they all want to speak English in the class. They want to speak English all the time, and that's like half of the learning. It's just the immersion of it. So pretty cool thing, man. Um, yeah, I would I would love that uh, that idea to be able to go just live there. I did my honeymoon in Japan too, so I got a special place in my heart for Japan. Oh, okay. Yeah, Japan's an amazing place. To me, it felt the the term that comes to mind is like cultural skydiving. Like you know, you go to Europe, <laughs> it's beautiful and amazing and and different, but but familiar to a certain extent. Uh, yeah. But when you go to Asia, I mean, I, my main experience was Japan, but it's just like what I just remember coming in from the airport and feeling like I was on acid or something like that. You know, just like oh my god, just just having this um, major. Uh, in influx of of Japan world and and what it's like to live there um, uh, was was an amazing experience. So. It, it's almost like you can tell that for for centuries, right? Previously, you could tell that there was an isolation, right? That it was mm. like they were over here. I, I remember even trying yeah. to trying to get a train ticket. You know, the confusion and the and the system was so different than anything I'd ever ever experienced that mm. I couldn't even. You you could you couldn't just say hi I I'm here and I'd like to go there so I'll buy a ticket and then they go oh that makes sense like it wasn't that straightforward it was yeah. very very um, convoluted and confusing in the banking system and just everything was just different enough that it, you could tell it wasn't the same foundation you know yeah. whereas when you go to to Europe or the UK you can tell that yeah it's different it's a nuance but it's the same foundations right it came yeah. from the same sort of thinking same kind of place that's super interesting. Yeah. Um, I want to pivot for a second, and as as you came off this, so what what time period, what time year was the Barcelona living? That was at the the, the early two thousand. So I, I moved there. Uh, you know, I, it was nineteen ninety. I can't believe that was twenty years ago now, but there it is. Um, it you know, so nineteen ninety eight in Japan, and then in ninety nine, I moved to uh, Barcelona. Stayed there until two thousand four. And then did you come back to California after that? Um, I, I live up here in Seattle, so I came oh, Seattle, uh, I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. Um, yeah, I came back to Seattle after that. And you've been there ever since? I have, yeah. So from from that period, what did you decide to jump back into? Did you continue doing like the communication work, uh, working with companies? Did you do re, you know, uh, retail to clients and do some of that, you know, sort of how, you know, the kind of things that I would do in coaching and whatnot? What were you doing before you got under the hell yes entrepreneur and everything you're doing today? Yeah. The transition from living abroad and acting and, and English teaching to what you're doing now. Yeah. I mean, a little bit of it was, uh, you know, kind of re reintegrating. And there was always a fear of that, like, oh, what's it going to be like going back to the United States? And for a long time, I didn't think I was coming back. You know, I was happy in Barcelona, but life you know, brought me back and, um, you know, the, the woman that I uh, ended up marrying, Zoe, uh, was one of the reasons I, I came back. I won't go into that whole story now. Always but, the woman. Oh, there's, <laughs> yeah, definitely uh, a, a big a big part of it. Um, and so when I came back, I wasn't quite sure what to do for a little while, but then I started picking up some, some uh, cop- copywriting and communications work. 
so that is, and a lot of that here in the Seattle area, um, you know, there's obviously Amazon now, but uh, Microsoft is is a big player here, obviously. Uh, so a lot of that has been connected to Microsoft and other uh, companies that they work with. So I've done a lot of uh, work with either through cons uh, consulting firms or agencies working in, in that environment. But then, you know, it's still continuing to uh, develop my passions, whether it would be, uh, you know, I was doing some, some continue to do some uh, performing, did my uh, solo show. Oh, I mean, the, the subprime, the reason I, I did that show was I, I um, had one of the first jobs I had when I came back was working at a, <laughs> doing t like telemarketing at this uh, subprime mortgage company in 2005. Oh, and not knowing that, and this company was actually one of the first ones to go south once the whole thing started to implode. They have a, it's like the mortgage implode list or well, something since, like that. And it was they're gone, who was it? Um, gosh, what was the name of it? Merit Financial was the name of the company. Yeah. I remember. So I was a real estate uh, broker for years too. So I was, I was in the depths of all of that right in the middle of the meltdown too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, um, so, you know, looking back a couple of years later, I realized like, wow, that that's really interesting material for a, a show, you know? So I, I kind of developed a show around some of the, you know, loosely based on uh, some of the people I met there and uh, played, I think 11 different characters in so you did a uh, one man show. That's amazing. Now, did you I perform did. that live and do you did. ever see yourself doing that more or has it run its course? Um, I think, well, I would like to do it again, I think, but it, it's not like, uh, at the forefront of my, you know, like that's, you know, it's not like, Oh, I want to be a solo performer and that's, that's it. But, um, I, I would, you know, maybe welcome the opportunity to do that again in the future. But I'm I'm more focused on the this stuff around the the podcast and the the book and the uh, you know speaking and all that stuff. So. Yeah, tell me. And we have uh, we're actually coming close to the twilight of, the, of our time together. Unfortunately, it goes sure. so fast. But tell me a little bit about then what you the idea behind the book. So it's the Hell Yes Entrepreneur. Um, yeah. you you shared your story in the beginning about you know what that that passion means. What prompted the idea of the book and the podcast itself, though? So, yeah, I mean, this kind of to come back to the original story. So I had that experience in high school and those two words just kind of kept ringing in my ears over the, uh, you know, periodically, not <laughs> consistently, but um, periodically over the, the, the next 25 years, you know, it's like, hell yes, hell yes. You know, I really did something back there and, you know, then I would get, involved in everyday life, but then it would come back again. And uh, it, it just, you know, it was like, I've got, I want to do something with this, with, with those two words, with hell yes. And, and just how uh, that experience that I had there, and this can kind of relate to everything that we've just talked about, right? It was, it, the, it was an experience where I got out of my comfort zone. I, um, you know, I took a, you know, dared to, to show a bolder side of myself. I signed up before I was ready. I signed up on the dotted line, not, not really realizing what I was getting involved in and, um, and ended up having an amazing experience as a result. Same thing. When I got on the plane to go to Barcelona, I had no job. I had, didn't speak Spanish. I had no idea how that was going to turn out. So it was like, you know, again, cultural skydiving or, or, um, you know, taking a big leap out of my comfort zone. Uh, same thing with the sub with subprime, you know, like uh, I basically set a date for 
doing the show, hadn't finished the show yet and was, and, you know, was really uh, nervous the whole time going up, like, how am I going to pull this off? Finally did. So those are those hell yes moments. And so, um, yeah, I en- ended up creating a, um, uh, you know, the, got this idea to do a podcast. Obviously, it's a kind of a popular thing to do these days. And I wanted to talk to other people who had dared to get out of their comfort zone that were living their passions and, um, you know, these the hell yes entrepreneurs. And, and you and the podcast is awesome. You know, I was on the podcast, so super excited for that. But you've had, you know, some great guests, people like, you know, John Lee Dumas, Entrepreneurs on Fire, one of the biggest podcasters out there in the world right now. I uh, see so you've had uh, an Everest climber, Kathy O'Dowd, and you've had a uh, rock star, Chris, how's that? How do you pronounce it? Baloo, Chris Baloo. Yeah, yeah. Chris Baloo. Um, so, you know, you've gotten a, a bunch of awesome people to come in and you're interviewing them and, and diving into like what that hell yes passion is, what, you know, why they're doing what they're doing. Um, so if you want to get some really good motivation, really get a kick in the butt, uh, listen to the Hell, uh, Hell Yes Entrepreneur Podcast. You can find out more at hellyeslife.com for Norman Bell, hellyeslife.com. We've got about a minute left, buddy. Um, you have, uh, is there anything you could, I don't know, a resource, uh, a way to connect with you? What would you like to, to give away if anyone wants to plug in with you a little more? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in addition to the podcast, I've started coaching clients who are interested in uh, developing their Hell Yes life or becoming Hell Yes entrepreneurs or building their Hell Yes business. Uh, I'm, you know, I have kind of general business and life coaching, but also three to six month programs to help people build their thought leadership, uh, which includes doing things like we're doing, Matt and I are doing right now, uh, creating your podcast, writing your book, uh, getting out there and doing public speaking. And so if you're interested in at least checking that out, um, I invite you to go to hellyeslife.com and you'll see a button there to sign up for a free strategy session where we'll take 45 minutes to kind of walk through every, where you're at now, where you want to be, what's stopping you from moving forward. And uh, then we you know, can take it from there, whether we work together or not. Norman Bell, thank you so much for coming on the show. I sure appreciate you. Guys, make sure you check him out. You can find Norm at Facebook at facebook.com slash a hell yes life. Uh, you can go to hellyeslife.com, take him up on a free strategy session, which is really, really cool because you don't know. I mean, there's a lot of people listening and I'm sure his schedule is going to fill up fast. So if you like what you heard and you want to consult with a guy who does the types of things that Norman does, you don't want to miss that. So hellyeslife.com. And then check out the podcast on iTunes, uh, Apple and Stitcher and Spotify. I'm sure it's all over the place. The Hell Yes Entrepreneur. Looking forward to it. Make sure you, you go check out my episode in the archives. You can go find my episode and listen up. Uh, and you can hear the flip side and have Norman interview me. Norm, thanks so much for your time, brother. Great reconnecting, man. Thanks a lot, Matt. Uh, glad to, to be on the show. 